Welcome back to the podcast. This is the 35th episode of the Nullcast, and today I am very fortunate to be interviewing a personal friend of mine, and a really and a really interesting person, if I should say, Jasper Reed. Jasper Reed. I met him in Seattle working for the company that I work for, and well, it turns out that he has a lot of experiences about what goes on on the other side of the equation when getting hired. He has anecdotes, stories, and cases, and things that he's seen and dealt with. And that's why I figured there would be a great opportunity to bring him onto the show to discuss these details in length. So, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and let's get started. Jasper, thanks so much for hanging out today with me. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to get a chance to, in, to interview you today, because, yeah, you know, that's that's what this space is about, you know, just giving people a platform for you know to share to share experiences and to share knowledge and such so how how's it going on your end how's uh how's the whole lockdown situation for you it's a pleasure to to be on the podcast alfredo i really appreciate you having me on and um let me just adjust the video really quick there we go mm-hmm. um yeah everything's going well in my world things are starting to pick up at work you know we have a lot of openings to fill oh and yeah even if <laughs> Even in my personal life, um, here in South Lake Union, right around downtown Seattle, things are slowly but surely starting to open up, open up again. So, feeling positive overall. Yeah, but that's that's interesting, isn't it? I, I totally noticed that you know, like uh, businesses and such around my area, like everything is starting to reopen now. And that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and just barely barely two weeks into the Biden presidency. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, at this point, I'm just happy that that we're starting to get back to some resemblance of of normal. Um, oh yes, I, yeah, I, I am. Day. I am too. I, I walk. I walk into this diner, and there were there were actual actual people eating inside, and like, oh my goodness, uh, you you have no idea how long I've been, how long I wanted to go sit down in the diner. Yeah, it feels like we're doing something bad seeing the other people around and being close to each other it's it's strange man but but it feels good too all right yeah but you know but but for what it's worth like you said so uh so there was a lot of turmoil there was a lot of adapting to the uh, new ways of working and there was a lot of recurring to be done because uh you're totally right that uh we literally in in tech companies because um, by the way for for context so uh, Jasper is a technical recruiter for Amazon, and in technical companies, there's always uh, a lot of a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we literally cannot fill the open positions ever, and uh, which is why I wanted to bring him on on the podcast so he can share his unique perspective about it. Uh, I think that as as engineers, every engineer has to you know work with a recruiter at some point or several recruiters. So. So there's probably a lot of stories to tell about it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. why why do you think why do you think that happens that that we're always we're always recruiting that we cannot really feel all of the all of the positions that are open? Yeah. Uh, just before I answer that, um, I'd like to say that uh, something that I hope any listeners or your viewers get out of this conversation is. Um, maybe more perspective in regards to how recruiters think 
and maybe some ideas in regards to what they can do to better partner with their recruiters to have a less stressful recruiting and interviewing experience. Um, I think you'd, you'd probably agree, and most people listening would agree, that in the technology market, there's a pretty big disconnect between engineers um, or technical people in general, and then the recruiters that they ha- they're basically forced to work with during the interviews. So, so I look forward to hopefully starting to build some sort of bridge between the two in this call. And um, why why aren't we able to fill our positions at Amazon? Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a problem that's really specific to Amazon. I don't think it's really common, but just given that we're doing so much innovative work in so many different markets, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of openings. Um, I don't know what our turnover rate is. Um, that's confidential information that I think only managers have access to, but there might uh-huh. be some kind of turnover things going on too. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a mixture. There's a there's a lot of turnover in the industry actually. I think that it's it's a it's an it's a tech industry issue that there's a lot of rotation and um, but you know, yeah. But for what is what, I really appreciated that point. I think that there's definitely a lot of work to be done in terms of uh, bridging uh, the perspectives between techies and between managerial people and recruiting people because. Because a lot of people just think that uh, work just happens, quote unquote. <laughs> and there's so much freaking toil behind everything. Behind actually, like you, you literally cannot get enough candidates to apply for things, enough quality candidates uh, for the records, too. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. But you know. It's really hard. But, uh, but anyway. So how long how long have you been uh, working as a recruiter again? So I started uh, when was it May two thousand three. So I've oh. been in the industry for seven years, but I two of those years I spent in sales. I took a break from recruiting because I wanted to try something different. So overall, it's been right around five years of professional recruiting. Sales, sales is also, I mean, it's also quite important. It's, it's, when, it's what brings in the business. So, I mean, it is being in recruiting. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's the right job for me. Um, it's not a glamorous position. Like if I was talking to uh, someone in high school, I wouldn't recommend that they try to become a recruiter. Um, but no, no, I, I really enjoy it. And I get to work with a lot of different types of people and I think one of the nice things about the job is that I get to really help people um, in a variety of different ways when things are going well. So, yeah, no, I, I enjoy it, man. It's going well. I feel lucky. That's a, that's a really cool way of looking at it, just helping people. Why, why, do, you, why do you feel that way? Uh, have you ever had a, a recruitee who you've actually felt that you helped like in depth? Or, or, or what, what can you tell me about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think as a recruiter, you face so much rejection that in order to make it through the day and in order to make a career out of the the job, you have to look at it as you try to help people because that is what you're trying to do. Even if people aren't interested in working with you or they don't want to switch jobs, you have to approach it from a place of uh, altruism and empathy if you want to really do a good job. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's there have been several instances of helping people get a job when they've been unemployed for a long period of time or 
help people prepare for, for example, the Amazon interviews when they let you know that it's their dream company and you can offer them pieces of advice that help them during the interview process and stuff and they tell you how much they appreciate it. Little situations like that, um, yeah, make it so we can help people all the time. How, how, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel that it's emotional, uh, an emotionally draining job or, like a, or that it demands an investment of energy and, or anything? How, how do you feel about that? It's very emotionally draining. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that if there is one, not one thing, but one of the things that um, I hope is conveyed from this conversation is that recruiters really do, or not all of them, of course, there's bad apples in any industry, but the majority of recruiters that have been doing it for at least a couple of years really do care about the candidates and really do care about helping you, the engineer, succeed either in the interview process or the offer negotiations. And when things go wrong for whatever reason, um, yeah, it, it yeah. can be emotionally draining for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of fortitude. Uh, definitely, the the recruiters that I felt the the best with are the recruiters that convey that sense of uh, I'm collaborating with you. Like I want you to get the position, I want you to make it, I want you to all that. Because there's there's a lot of, a lot of the preparation and a lot of the ceremonies and a lot of the scheduling and all that. Like it is it is quite a lot for in some circumstances. But uh... and to be to be fair, I don't want to make us all sound like we're angels. Um, as any of your listeners will know for sure there's a population of recruiters that are transactional and really don't care about the candidates maybe as much as they should so i don't want to gloss over that either um yeah so it, it can be hit or miss but you never know i guess i guess it depends on the because because of course there's always that there's always that factor of yeah so if they if they get the position you get a bonus so at some point it becomes a number game and you want to get as many people in but at the same time yeah you have to try to get the right people and you have to try to get them in the right positions and you have to try to get them in, in positions where they're gonna perform great and all that and you know it's just such a gamble man yeah absolutely absolutely so um what i would say is for any candidates just you know you ever find yourself coming across a recruiter that you can tell really cares or you you feel is good keep in touch with them um you never know how they'll be able to assist you in the future have you have you kept in touch with 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 a candidate that you that you position in the company yeah yeah on a couple of occasions um it's rare um but yeah on a couple of occasions some of us have become friends and i've been able to assist them in future job opportunity searches as well oh and and, and like how but like how so? Like what? What are they? What are they up to now? Like I reckon, like yeah, be, because because it is pretty cool. Uh, it is it is a matter of forming a professional network. Always, like your connections a, a lot of times matter more than the other the whichever other things you have to do in your professional career. So it matters a lot to 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 foster those connections. But uh, but you know, but but what are what are they up? What are they up to? Like, if you, I, I, I had never, I had never heard of uh, keeping up with a recruiter or, or like uh, engaging with them as personal friends. Yeah, I mean, they're doing a variety of different things. I mean, um, I have one really good friend in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, that I placed nice. at Amazon, and he recently left, but we keep in touch. And um, you know, whenever I've only been down twice, but when I go down, I stay with him and his family, and 
um, yeah, he's just doing his thing in his new company. And did you? I I don't know. I don't know. If you mentioned it before, but do you speak Portuguese? Or are no, you familiar no, with wish. Portuguese? Oh, okay. I know a couple of words. Um, I took a couple of weeks of a Pimsleur class to learn some of the basics, but no, I I wouldn't say that I know the language at all. Yeah, but that's pre that's pretty cool. And uh, what what do you what do you think about what do you think about Brazil when? When did when did you visit? I don't know if we we ever talked about that before. Yeah, I went down twice. Um, the first trip was September or October two thousand eighteen, and then the second time was in December two thousand eighteen. I went down for two recruiting trips. They were like recruiting events in Sao Paulo. Oh, for the for the events themselves, awesome. Oh, that's mm -hmm. that, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I, I would love to have the opportunity to go to a to a hiring event like in in a country like Brazil. I uh, I took the I took the interviewing courses at the company and all that. So you know, so I, I will I will be I will be able to sign up and to do all of that if I if I could. I guess I guess I hadn't I didn't know that it was like a thing that they had recruiting trips to Brazil. I, by the way, who knows if it'll come back, man? Um, now with COVID, of course. <laughs> the way that like COVID has affected recruiting, it's all virtual. I, I don't know if it makes sense for us to send people down like we used to, but um, yeah, we'll see. It's probably not going to happen in the near future. Yeah, for the foreseeable yeah, future, with all that. But uh, but there's a still interviewing going on virtually, and that's something that I will be willing to do because I know that it matters. Like uh, last yeah. last last Friday at the office, actually, we we had a. Most most of Friday was practice interviewing, like among among everyone in the team. So finding like um, engineers that really want to interview as opposed to being forced to interview, <laughs> um, really really does make a difference. Um, I don't have like the data in front of me or anything, but just by sitting in those debrief conversations, you can tell who wants to be there and who doesn't. And I yeah. think I think it makes a difference, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and by the way, so what how, what what did you do in Brazil? Did you did you get to explore around? I love I, lo I love I love chatting about travel. I was working. Those were the longest days I've ever worked. So I I did get to travel around, but no joke. Monday through Friday, I was in the office from se around seven seven thirty in the morning to prepare for the eight o'clock interviews, and then we weren't leaving because we had debriefs at night. Sometimes I was leaving around 9 or 10 p.m. So the majority of the time I was working, but um, after the interviewing days were done, we would go out to restaurants and stuff, and I oh, got to check out some different neighborhoods in Sao Paulo. And um, one weekend I spent 12 hours in Rio de Janeiro, which was kind of fun, Rio. on a layover. Yeah. <laughs> 12 hours on a layover. Jeez, man. 12 hours. I had the Uber driver just literally drive me around the city. He was so happy. He was like, <laughs> I was I was like, can you just drive me around all the good spots? And he was like, wait, just literally just drive? You don't want me to drop you off? I was like, yeah, no, no, just drive. He was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I can do that all day. No problem. Yeah, can... so that was kind of funny. He was cool. Nice. That's a, that's a, that's a really cool experience right there, too. I mean, it's not optimal to have that kind of time in a layover, but... Um... But yeah. and, and from there, from that experience, you met the candidate that got placed and whom you got you have kept in touch with. There's uh, sometimes you just meet people and you just know that you have a connection, like you can just be friends. Like 
I remember during the preparation calls, there was just a camaraderie, I think kind of similar to you and I as well, where oh, yeah. you haven't shared a lot of life experiences. Like, we're kind of on the same page. And then we just kept in touch, and he invited me over to his home. And um, I went, and again, there's more camaraderie and stuff, and um, it just kind of went on from there. Oh, and um, yeah, like pre pre pretty awesome because yeah, he totally totally echoing that like you you really you really do know when there's camaraderie and what there's uh when there's more empathy than usual you know because like, yeah I don't know it's hard to describe but but it does but it does matter a whole bunch and and I mean and, and, and hanging hanging out with the recruiter that actually got you placed in a job you know like pretty awesome like yeah uh that's probably somebody who you should treat to dinner at least once like you know like hey thanks for the <laughs> Thanks for the for the yeah, cool job. Yeah, he invited me over to meet his family and stuff, and yeah, they they gave me food and stuff. It was cool. Nice. That's a really that's a really positive experience, right there, man. What's your experience like with recruiters? Hmm. So both Mex both recruiters in Mexico, and then also the recruiting experience when you were interviewing at Amazon, an American company. Yeah, that's uh, that's a yeah, that's a good question. So I mean, so so yeah, so so when I work in the industry in Mexico, so there's recruiters and such, but I would the thing is that they don't really operate in the same fashion completely. I would say, as in yeah yeah that's there's like there's like uh, independent agencies so to say, who do recruiting sometimes. There's there's recruiters who. Uh, like you said, I think the problem is exacerbated in Mexico, where there may be some kind of gap in terms of technical, in terms of the technical. For example, uh, I recall I recall at least one recruiter who wanted to hire hire me for a Java position, and it turns out that it was JavaScript. You know that kind of stuff. Like it happens a lot of times. And I I would say that it was more more common in Mexico than than in the U.S. In the U.S. Uh, I I will uh, I I in the U.S. there's there's a there's a way better baseline in all that, like because I don't know I guess it's just a culture and it's just being closer to the actual epicenter of the tech, but mm. uh, but yeah, but in Mexico yeah. it, it 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 can be it can be hit, hit or miss. Uh, there's a. <laughs> What's your experience with recruiter? I dated a recruiter. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she didn't really recruit me, or she was not really recruiting me for her um for that enterprise. She was more of the uh niece of the guy who wanted to work with me. And so we got in touch and we went we went on a couple dates. Nothing to major. So so she wasn't like a recruiter, but she was sort of the recruiter. Because she, okay, she... Uh, <laughs> mixing a little business with pleasure, I see. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not no 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 stranger to pleasure. <laughs> no stranger to business. <laughs> but you know. Uh but that that was yeah, that was a good experience, but yeah, just just a couple of and and, and I didn't uh, I didn't work at that company, so uh so it wasn't much of mixing business with pleasure because there was no not a lot of business there. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
Yeah, but you know, but um, <laughs> but 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 in 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 the US, in the US, the process is definitely a lot a lot more standardized. So there's kind of like this cadence to getting recruited and getting brought into an interview and getting brought into a loop and applying and the process is a lot more standardized. So so I would say that uh, yeah, I've, I've always I've always had a really a really you know cool experience with recruiting in the US. Uh. The, the the funniest stories definitely come from Mexico. <laughs> what's um what's like one or two things that you or your colleagues wish that like recruiters knew about engineering candidates or one or two things that you wish recruiters would like do differently or change in their like behavior during the interviewing process during the recruiting process speaking in the context of the industry in the states right i would say that <laughs> kind of kind of like a funny thing to say because once once you're once you're experiencing the industry you know sometimes you may get a lot of calls from recruiters that are trying to like hey do you want to apply do you want to apply do you want to apply like first of all i will ask that recruiters uh, should be more open to discussing details about position and salary range <laughs> because if you already got a job that's usually one of the things that's going to convince you to switch jobs and uh but normally that's not discussed so i will say that if it is a tenured uh, candidate then maybe ha have resources to discuss that with them earlier uh because otherwise it's like a so so they start treating you as if you were a college grad and stuff. <laughs> it's like you know, no, I I've been I've been through the ringer, I've been through the ringer, man. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I would I would just say that, and just uh, avoiding those situations where, oh, so they wanted a Java developer and it was Ruby, that kind of stuff. No, it happens here, unfortunately, sometimes too. I, I guess I guess and, and and you you cannot you cannot expect everyone to know everything there is to know about every technical trivial trivial detail and and that's fine I don't expect people to know everything but 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 sometimes it may it may be way too much of a of a of a switching expectations. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's actually um something you you mentioned actually like. I'd say a relatively hot topic on LinkedIn right now. It's um, whether or not job postings should have the compensation range in the actual posting. I think that uh, they should. It's, it's pretty hotly debated. You think it should? I think that they should, because because I mean that's one of that's one of the main motivators. Uh, uh, maybe maybe not for a college grad. Like when when you're when you're getting a start when you're actually just you know trying to get victories under your belt, but. What are you starting to get? Can I provide a situation? Yeah. All right. Let's say there's an opening and the range is one hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars compensation. Mm -hmm. Let's just I'm just making it up. Mm -hmm. Now let's say that you get a candidate that you want to hire mm -hmm. but didn't do great. You're mm -hmm. kind of settling a little bit as the employer. You haven't found anybody else. But they like it was it was a tough decision uh -huh. and you're not extremely convinced that they're the right person but you need someone uh -huh. they're not worth 150,000 in your eyes let's just say but now uh -huh. that they know that you have that budget to pay 150,000 
they're going to feel bad when you offer them 120000 knowing that you have budget for more. And basically, it creates a situation where you have to tell the candidate, like, we just don't think you're worth that. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. What are your thoughts? So when... Uh... The, the the thing there is that then it becomes then it becomes this kind of uh this kind of uh, tug of war right <laughs> because uh i mean i know that employers have the right to have that kind of opinion but then i will argue but like how or like why what's the standard what's the threshold what's the expectation so i will try to say like convince me that i'm not worth that uh i will and, and and that's and that's why because it's 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 mix and match do they have the basic skills skill set that they need or are you looking for something way more technically focused on i don't know some kind of very niche area by the way if it's really niche technology they usually yeah they're usually commandeer the the salary range no matter what because it is tough to to get people but um <laughs> And, and and also the thing is because as a candidate sometimes you may feel that am I getting lowballed? Am I getting <laughs> like is this this kind of like a mind game? Like uh, can I what can I what can I do to to sort of play my cards? So so I will say in those kinds of situations, I I will I will try I will try to get them in. But 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 again, but it has to follow one of those things. Like you either you either try to probe them on more specific skills related to problem solving just to make sure or, or or literally just bring them in for a second round uh i don't i don't know i, I i've been i've been in cases yeah. where where i'm running for a second round of things but and i think that it provides perspective on some candidates but uh it, it will be it will be something like that like the solution is along those lines i would say yeah i i'm torn I, I would I would say that I do think that compensation needs to be spoken about at some point in the process, maybe before the on-site interview or something. But putting it, it's so risky to put that on the job posting because then anybody that makes more than that range isn't going to apply. And that means that right off the bat, most companies are going to miss out on candidates from, say, Amazon, Netflix, Google. They're just not even going to apply. Yeah. Um, whereas as an employer, you want to get those candidates to apply to at least get them started and interested in a little bit bought in, in the hopes that once they meet the team and stuff, there might be some flexibility on compensation, or there might be a business case for the team to go to management and be like, Hey, can we make an exception to this range for this yeah. really strong candidate based on this data? So it's yeah, tough. Yeah, but it's kind of, but it's kind of a, but it's kind of a double level a double-edged sword because if you if you bring people in and you invest for the whole recruiting process and flying people in and whatnot so that's an investment and what if what if they make it through the process and then they start negotiating salary and then they, they reject an offer which which happens with some candidates and particularly in those higher echelons of salaries and all that so, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. So, if you publish compensation details, you will avoid making that investment. So, <laughs> uh, hmm. yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I see both sides. Yeah, and I feel stuck in the middle. What's the? Uh, have you ever had a candidate that you that you tried like, oh, like I really want to, I really want to get them in, and that you went 
far and far along the process with and like have you ever had a case like that somebody who this who negotiated salary for like a lot and then ended up re re uh, rejecting it or somebody who was who oh, yeah who got stuck in the process like for a long time and then ended up rejecting the offer or something it's my day-to-day -day life man um yeah it happens <laughs> all the time where you know the you know not all the time but um i'd say if you're a recruiter that is experienced there's certain telltale signs during the process where you can tell that um compensation means a lot to the candidate yeah. So I think any experienced recruiter is able to ask the right questions at the appropriate time in order to have that conversation up front. Um, but yeah, there, there've been times where negotiations didn't work out and the candidate rejects the offer or something goes wrong. What's um, the, what's yeah. the longest, what's the longest time you've seen it go for? The negotiations? Yeah. Like in, so it in... depends on the recruiter. I only let the negotiations. I mean, it depends who they are, but a couple weeks. Couple weeks, nothing, nothing in the order of months or something, because like I wanna, I wanna know, I wanna know if there's like some amazing story about somebody rejecting an amazing offer or something. No. So what I do, once it goes past a couple of weeks, to me that means that the candidate doesn't want the job, and they're <laughs> leveraging the offer to negotiate with the company that they really do want. So I usually pull the offer if it's been more than a couple of weeks of back and forth and we're not able to come to an agreement. And what happens is either one of two things, the candidate either freaks out because it is the best offer they have and they come <laughs> back to you yeah. or B they actually do have better offers. And then they say, okay, no worries. Like, see you later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, no more than a couple of weeks, but it, it depends. Yeah, because because I tell you, there's just there's just so many there's just so many factors and there's just so many things that can come into play in that. But <laughs> I I I was I wonder I wonder whether there was anything in, like that went on for months and months and months. But 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 as a candidate, you also have to be sensitive. You also have to be sensible to to things too. As in, yeah, maybe as a candidate, you don't look the best if you're just going back and forth for long and long. <laughs> What I'll say though is I think that the I haven't done it myself, so I'm making an assumption, but I think that the really long negotiations are probably a lot more common in executive recruiting, which I haven't done. But if you're trying to pinch like a CTO or a C or poach, excuse me, a CFO or CTO from a, a reputable employer, that's where I can see it kind of dragging on a lot more because the offers and the transition process is so so much more complicated than a mid-level manager or an individual contributor. Executive recruiting. By the way, I, I, I work at a I work at a data analyst job for HR in Xerox back in the day. And it was for executive recruiting. So so, so ha have you ever seen any stories, any 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 amazing stories from something like that? Or have you have you heard have you heard anything as in somebody got a thousand RSUs? <laughs> no. No, a thousand yeah. RSUs is way too low for an executive. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I haven't done executive recruiting before. Maybe one day it's something I'd like to do. I think um, if you can succeed in executive recruiting, you are a, a really exceptional recruiter. So I think one day maybe, but it's not something I've had the, the chance to do yet. We'll see. I, yeah, I wonder... No, no crazy negotiation stories. They're usually pretty boring, man. I'm not going to lie. 
I wonder I wonder what's the compensation range for those kinds of positions, but yeah, but I know that's confidential, so that's not <laughs> going there. What about uh switching switching gears a little bit, I guess. But uh but what about what about other stories working with candidates? Have you ever had a situation where you had somebody like locked in who had accepted an offer and all that and then they got poached like for from I don't know a competitor or another big tech company or yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's happened. Not as often now that I'm at Amazon. Yeah. Uh, but when I was working at a staffing agency, yeah, I mean, there's several instances where someone would accept an offer and then um, a behemoth of a tech company like Amazon or really any of the FANG um. organizations come in and they're gone. I mean, our offers are so much higher than yeah the offers they're getting at staffing agencies. Because, um, because what... What what's compelling about the Amazon offer and all that, like particularly the the stock price and all that, like that's that really good. That it makes a really good case compared to other big tech companies. But again, the the culture the culture in tech is pretty crazy sometimes. So there's these kind of cases where oh yeah, so such and such has three different offers and the interesting like stories of people backing out, I'd say are aren't really compensation focused. They're more like completely random. Like I had one candidate accept his job. And then on the very first day, um, there was a bar in the office. Like the team had like a keg, a keg for like on Fridays, they would have happy hour. And he called me and he was like, I quit. Like, I can't do this. I was like, what? His first day I was like, dude, like what happened? And he was like, nah, man, like I'm 10 years sober. I, uh, I can't oh. be around any type alcohol in a work environment yeah i I was just like oh so much work going into this but what can you do um and you just have to respect those personal boundaries um i had another candidate um who very shortly after he started he called and he was like hey like i can't work here (laughs) i was like like, what happened and he was like you know i made a mistake a couple of years ago with uh uh, a lady that's not my wife, and um, she actually works here. And I oh. made promises to my family that I would never be around this person again. And I, I can't, I have to leave right now. <laughs> I was just like, no. Like, what are yikes. the chances? Yeah, yikes. So stuff like that are more of the. And now, in retrospect, they're funny because enough time has gone by where I can kind of laugh it off. But at the time, it's heartbreaking because so much work goes into the interview process and stuff both from the candidate end and the hiring manager end oh, yeah. it's tough the keg the keg guy that that one is heartbreaking man Jeez. it was at a good tech company here in seattle i can't say the name but it was like it's a it's a great employer very good brand and reputation it's a highly sought after place to work but you know it's like a laid-back tech company and they have happy hour on friday and just gonna work out. Yeah, and most mo- most most software shops that I've been in, you know, of course there's gonna be alcohol in the premises, you know, because of like but but that's that's uh but but that's a really compelling reason not to work somewhere. <laughs> if they actually had you know, if they were trying to stay sober. So my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. I've had candidates not be able to start because their background checks didn't clear because you know things mistakes they've made in the past because they were narcos 
<laughs> uh, they wish they were narcos. No, it's other crimes that that have been committed. That oh, let me tell you. Uh, I, I just remember this. Um, we I worked at a staffing agency right out of college, and we had a client in Enumclaw, kind of mm. closer to your neck of the woods, um, down in the southern part of Seattle. Yeah. And uh, the candidate that I sent in, I kid you not. He walked in with a – he was open carrying. He had a revolver on his hip for an interview, Yo. and the hiring manager called back our account executive and was like, hey, like, we like can't interview this guy. Like He came in with a gun, and we were like, what? Whoa. Yeah, he came in with a gun. Like We have a no-guns policy, so we had to call the candidate and be like, hey, like what happened? And yeah. he was like the nicest guy ever. He didn't know what he did wrong. He was like, well, it's legal to open carry, and we were like, dude – to a job interview <laughs> put the piece away man come on gonna walk into the interview with the power of god in my head <laughs> thinking he's samuel jackson from pulp fiction or something yeah. oh, but you know oh that's a that's an issue that elicits so much debate because of course like yeah open carry and carrying guns like that's something that i think that it matters and people are entitled to it it's a right i think that it's okay but but as an owner of an establishment you also have you know if you if you want to take have your reservations about carry like you should also be able to oh but that's yeah that's a that's a complicated one for <laughs> <laughs> a job interview come on man <laughs> what can you do? Maybe <laughs> there's something I've on Twitter is that you can't change the candidate. Like you can't. Yeah, you just can't change people. Yeah. You have to go with what. You have to uh, accept people for who they are, and you can coach them as much as possible. But ultimately, people are going to make their own choices. Yeah, yeah, and 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 even more particularly with something like that. Like, uh, what are what are the stories? Uh, from interviews that had gone incredibly wrong. Candidates that had done incredibly awfully. Yeah, there's this guy called Alfredo. I heard he got hired. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what 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 have you like, what have uh, you heard though? Like horror stories during the interviews? Yeah. I feel bad and I don't want to make it a joke because it, it is kind of sad, but you know, every once in a while there's candidates that cry during the interviews and you have to oh. You know, like end the interview and uh, kind of give them a pat on the back and let them know that it's okay and not the end of the world. And obviously, the interview ends and they don't get hired. But yeah, I've had a couple of um, couple cries, couple of interviews where, and who knows what happened. I, it's kind of a mystery how they make it to the on-site interview stage. Maybe they had someone else do the phone interview or something, and then it's time for them to do the on-site, and they're just completely caught off guard. Um, but yeah, some some crying, and then um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, those are the only real horror stories, really, during the interviews. Can't think of anyone getting mad or or angry or anything like that. When that kind of situation happens with candidates, I mean, it's the kind of situation where yeah, too too bad they may they may have a lot going on in their lives, but as a techie, you have to learn to withstand to things as well as 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 anyone, right? Like. You gotta, you gotta harden up. You gotta toughen up. Like uh, the interview is the interview stressful? Is the interview chaotic? 
is there a lot to handle? That that's kind of the point because they're proving how well you're gonna do at the job because the job is all about that, man. Handling chaos is just this constant barrage of <laughs> constant barrage of insanity coming coming one's way. Yeah. And 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 yeah. And yeah, like the interview sucks and all that, but yeah, but but you gotta toughen up. Like that's that's uh that's the mindset that everybody should develop over time for that. But uh, but I, yeah. I, I and again, if, if people have a lot going on in their lives, like it's understandable. But but like but like oh, embrace embrace the embrace the power of the hero, the hero trip. Yeah. And it's I I would say that it's a mix between the candidates need, needing to have or trying to have that inner strength, but also the interviewers. I give equal onus on the <laughs> yeah. interviewers being empathetic and asking questions in a way that shows that they want the candidate to succeed. Um, if I'm being honest, there's it's just far too common for interviewers to not really want to interview and then be kind of go in in a super cold business-like fashion where they're just going through the motions and not reading the body language of the candidate. And I think if, it, if the interview gets to the point where the candidate starts crying or there's some kind of fallout like that, I, it's 50-50. Both, both people are, are to blame, in my opinion. And the, the, fact, the fact that techies, the techies tend to not be the most social creatures around, to say the least. And the fact that that happens notwithstanding, that, which doesn't help either, yeah, a lot of techies also have a lot of freaking attitude, which is something that I personally, I personally have a gripe with that on the, on the industry. A lot of gatekeeping, a lot of uh, like, it's uh, a, a, a lot of times you, you get the feeling as if I did amazing at this interview round, at this interview loop, and you don't get the job. And it's because just people are trying to just gatekeep you because they didn't like you. Like it just boils down to you weren't their type or you weren't their <laughs> like you weren't their you you weren't the, they wanted a different profile they wanted a different such and such or, or like it, and and you you get the feeling that a lot of techies tend to do that and they shouldn't because because whoever's whoever's competent like everything should be just based on the principle of competence man you you should you you are you get well calibrated to get competent people in you apply the same criteria of competence and as long as they make it through those rounds like they should be able to perform but yeah but the process gets muddied up with so many other things but yeah and and uh, the uh, techies i i wish i wish they had more more empathy man like it just a lot of people are very cold in that industry yeah, because they they just love the whole you know the whole fact that they can just shutter themselves into the network and type away all day and to make their living. I, I think that technology is truly about more than that, man. Truly should be about solving problems for people. What is the best way to interview a software engineer? Because I have heard so many different opinions on this question from a variety of different candidates and I think one of the disconnects, correct me if I'm wrong, I might, I might be totally wrong, but from my perspective, it seems like one of the disconnects in the industry is that there's no one set way to interview a software engineer and everyone's very opinionated on it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I totally, I totally know. I know why. I know why you think that because the whole academic algorithm-based question. I think that yeah, it is pretty broken. It is a pretty broken system. Why? Because I think that you don't get the full story. Um, it is. It, it, I think. By the way, I think that it's the academic algorithm questions and tests and all that. I think that that it's it's fine for somebody who's a really young college or college grad and all that. What matters more is to be able to solve problems. Just tell me, uh, software engineer should be hired based on. Uh, of course, they should be able to code. And if if you see somebody who has been ten years in the industry, and they cannot code their way out of a wet paperback, that's a problem. So that's a problem. So so you you should you should you should probe them a little bit on that regard. So you catch those cases, right? I think that what matters most is having a technical discussion with the candidate if they're experienced, they're experienced, and ask them, well, describe problems that you faced and tell me how you solved them and just working through that and if they're able to sustain a deep technical conversation without bullshitting because a lot of people start bullshitting in those conversations and you you pick that up you pick that up really quickly and but if they don't do that really quick do you think it's is it easy to pick that up really quickly? Like, can the common interviewer pick up bullshit really quickly? Or, you know they, what I mean? Because they, that seems they should. No, they, okay. they they should. They should. It's just it's just uh, if if you're if you're already tenured, if you, if you're a college grad, not quite. But if you're tenured, then yes. Because in 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 the industry, when when it's a matter of there's real money on this, there's stakeholders, there's things to sell. There's business to do. There's things to get done. Like, if somebody has contributed to that, then they will be able to talk about it. And if they haven't, they will bullshit. And when so, when you're tenured, then yes, you will recognize that. You will recognize when 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 somebody has made contributions, and you can just gauge gauge based on that. I will I will argue, for example, for an experienced candidate, it matters more. Sometimes there's technology that you can come up with in-house or there's off-the-shelf solutions like, oh, okay, so yeah, so we can use, we can develop a message bus to say a random thing. Like, yeah, we need to distribute messages, we can do such and such. And such. Or maybe you can just use uh, an off-the-shelf solution. You can just use SNS, you can just use uh, Kafka, you can just use, and, and, and somebody who can, bring up the gamut of all of those things then yes so that means that yeah they have they, they probably have actual experience working with that and if they can discuss details and describe things clearly and all that then yes but um we, without getting into too many specifics because the technical details are not relevant here but but um i will i will value more and I will consider more viable a candidate who can use critically an off-the-shelf solution rather than being pedantic about uh, an, an algorithm about the the academic background matters by the way I'm not discounting it I think that it's great that people go to college for 
degrees and, and all that but but if you if you're in the industry in this industry you cannot just subsist on on the degree you, you need experience because when, when you're on the field solving problems it's 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 like the like chaos man it's like a freaking war man and and you want uh, you want you want somebody who can tell you about stories like that like how how did you solve that problem did you have a crisis did you have something that went wrong with your system or something like that so yeah man have you noticed any trends in regards to um the academic backgrounds of software engineers and their performance on the job in regards to the hmm i will say that when you have somebody who's a hundred percent academic who switched from from academia to the industry, they usually just guarantee a certain baseline. But when you see somebody who had to who had to engineer their way up the ranks, they uh, those those kinds of profiles usually have something more. Uh, they, they usually have a like, like the, the the academic people usually are good generalists so in in every in every possible problem so you have the domain of problems and things to do right so they will do generally somewhat well and and there's other kinds of candidates who sort of had to claw their ways into the thing right and those candidates they may not have the same domain but they usually have a certain subdomain of that that they're really good at, and and that experience matters, because for some things you want people who are specialists on things on on details, right? So uh, that that would be my opinion of it. But 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 the academic the academic background usually, yeah, it provides you with like a, and and that's one of the issues with the industry that. They usually want candidates who are easy to source and easy to replace and easy to, you know, because the the software the software process at companies they want to make it like a production line, they want to make it like a, a put tab A on slot B forever and ever and ever and ever, and but there's some problems there's some systems that don't boil down to that there's some systems that uh, that for for which you want specialized people. And in those cases, yeah, that would be my opinion. But what's this has been fun, man. I just want to let you know this has been awesome. This is the first time I've ever uh, been on a podcast before, or like been involved in the recording of a podcast, and it's great. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you. I, I humbly try. I can. I cannot aspire to anything. By the way, awesome. This is fun. Like yeah, I totally, I totally, I totally was intended, uh, or totally was intended to have a drink here with me, and I didn't, I didn't get my drink. But uh, yeah, what the heck, man? What are you drinking? Uh, it's a little bit of Glen Levitt Scotch, the eighteen year Scotch. Not bad. Nice. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Scotch that um you tried when you came over the last time when we had the burgers. That that Scotch was was really really quite nice. It's nice, yeah. Smooth. Scotch. I, I put a little bit of ice in to cool it down. Nice. But um, only like half of a cube, not much. Yeah, because it, it is, it it is it is a kind of it is a kind of thing that you can that you can totally drink on a Saturday on a Saturday evening like this. Oh, quick question: 
in Mexico, is it common to fill up or to put like water in the whiskey when you're drinking it? Because I noticed when I was in Ecuador um, a couple of years ago, I had some whiskey <laughs> with my family and they put water in to like dilute the flavor. And I thought they were crazy. I was like, what? Putting water in like a beautiful whiskey? And yeah, they put like ice and water in. I couldn't believe it. Um, is that common in Mexico too? Well, if you if you mix it if if you mixed it with let's say mineral water or something like that, perhaps. But but I hadn't I haven't heard of oh. mixing it with actual just water. God, it breaks my heart, man. Because it breaks yeah, my heart how you could do that to an innocent whiskey. I guess. For a second, I get I get a little bit scared. As in, did did they pour did they pour water into the bottle or something just to like increase the volume? With like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> No, it was into the cup. I don't remember. It was like five years ago, but basically they watered it down a lot, and I couldn't believe it. But yeah, I don't know, maybe it's to make it last longer because it's like so expensive down there that they want to make it last longer. I don't know. Maybe it's to <laughs> yeah. Be I was just shocked. I wouldn't. Uh, I I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, it it could it could have been that because I know how. <laughs> Not that we are a little bit on the, you know, on the international context and situation. But by the way, uh, what do you or how do you feel about, you know, about international recruiting? You you work with international candidates and Amazon and other big tech companies like them are recruiting from abroad. Yeah. Be, be, because again, and, and and by the way, it's because there's not enough candidates in the states. And we're always trying to fill positions like people could literally just walk in in with the right skills and they will get the jobs like really. But that's why, because there's people that say that people shouldn't hire from abroad because it's a problem and like such and such. Mm -hmm. But it's because we, we, we cannot fill the positions. And when you get hired, there's literally this legal case that has to be made to justify bringing somebody in. There's lawyers and like a lot of complexity, like I've read about it. But um, but uh, well, uh, how how do you feel about that? About international hiring, and have you had experiences related to that? As in somebody who had a tough time getting hired because he was international or something like that. So, what are your feelings about it? My feelings are that it's fantastic. Um... However, it is nuanced, and there's a lot of things that could make it a wonderful process for everyone or a disastrous process for everyone. Um, I think I, I'm supportive of it. Um, you know, my mom's Ecuadorian. My whole mom's side of the family lives in Ecuador. So, you know, international recruiting means a lot to me. Um, but what I'll say is that the one, one of the many important things that leads to a positive outcome is the employer choosing recruiters that either are passionate about traveling, know different languages, or have some kind of awareness of what life is like in other parts of the world. Um, if you can find recruiters that even at a baseline level, understand the perspectives and situations that international candidates are coming from, I think it could be a great experience. But if you assign the recruiting roles kind of at random 
and put people in international recruiting roles that have no idea what life is like outside of the United States and no empathy for people who are speaking English as a second or third language, et cetera, et cetera, then it can be a, a negative experience. So I think the team that's picked is really important. But overall, I, I, I love international recruiting. But it can be it can be a it can be a complicated experience because well there's there's culture shock there's like language barriers and whatnot and also a lot of people they may be they may be great at technical stuff but in terms of like handling uh, an interview in in a language that's not their native native language then that's when things get kind of crazy right so yep have you any any, any any anything that you would like to share about that? Anything that any stories that you have heard about uh, international recruits? Oh man, yeah. I think something that I learned along the way is that um, so the only international recruiting experience I have is for Brazil. So it's Brazilian candidates and hiring for Amazon in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And something that I learned early on once I started having candidates interview was that I needed to prepare the Brazilian candidates ahead of time, that the interview process was an American interview process. It was not a Latin American interview process because the feedbacks that I would get early on was that the interviewers were cold, that Amazon didn't ask me any questions about my family. Um, they didn't ask me any questions about my interests. Like they didn't get to know me at all as a person. Um, so we were getting some, not not a lot, but a couple of kind of like bad feedbacks from candidates that didn't get the job. So I guess one, yeah, this one finding is that it's important to set accurate expectations with candidates when you're doing international recruiting to let them know what to expect and what it's going to kind of be like. And for us at our employer, it's just we recruit the American way which is very data-driven. It's very like a functional focused and competency focused. Um, and we just don't focus at all on kind of like what people are like as not, not what people are like, but we don't ask about family or like external things outside of like basically the job on the flip side of that. Um, it, you know, it's up to somebody to also prepare the interviewers as well to let them know like, Hey, you're going to be interviewing candidates that speak English as a second language, you know, help them. You know, if you see somebody is on the right track, but they're struggling with the verbiage or the words, maybe it's not because they're dumb, but it's because they just don't speak English a lot. So, you know, work with them. So there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen in order to make it work. But um, overall, I, I, I've seen it work really well for all parties. That's where the empathy that techies that I wish that they had, uh, yeah, that's that's where it comes in because a, a lot of times you don't really see that like in the industry, but you know, like you agreed, agreed, and sometimes it doesn't happen on international events and it's a problem and it's like a coaching opportunity, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had some really nice experiences with it overall. Hmm. By the way, so being being respectful of your time here, uh, we're a little bit over the hour, so uh, perhaps we should we should be wrapping up the discussion at least on recruiting matters. 
future of recruiting, man. So, where do you think things are headed? Uh, how do you think the industry is going to look like in the future, next five years or so? Yeah, um, I was thinking about that earlier. I think I'm really bullish on the future of recruiting. However, I do think that a lot of the bad recruiters are going to get weeded out due to automation. So already I'm seeing certain mundane tasks of recruiting or sourcing or resume analysis being automated. And it's not it's not really in a good place yet. The technology isn't quite there yet, but it's being worked on and it's going to happen. So I think the future of recruiting is going to be a place where a lot of the basic sourcing tasks are going to be automated. And the type of people that are going to succeed in recruiting are those that can, they have sales backgrounds, people that can close candidates, um, people that have exceptional customer service abilities, um, people that recruiters that have data analysis abilities. So people that can look at their metrics and use those insights to affect their performance. Um, yeah. And things of that nature, it just recruiters that can earn trust with both hiring managers and candidates will be successful. Um, recruiters that understand technology will definitely be successful, but a lot of the recruiters that struggle in those areas and, don't have the discipline or desire to improve in those areas, I, I think they'll be gone. But because that's good for the, for the whole industry. I mean, in, interesting, because I think that, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, recruiting is not, a, is not an area that you can automate like a hundred percent yet I, i don't I, and i don't think i don't think that a, most of the jobs ever by the way are going to be automated a hundred percent because because co computers computers just understand math and logic right but but when you are a real professional like there's some things that go beyond that like the devil is always in the details man the devil is always in the details so sometimes the details matter how you're how you're treating your candidate, how you're treating the hiring manager, how you're making connections, how you're bridging. And I, I don't think that a lot of that is going to be automated. But what, what do you mean? What do you mean when things, when you say that things are getting automated? So what's, what's in the pipeline for that? Like, is there some Telio automated new fangled thingy? AI. A of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of interesting products. Um, It's hard for me to talk about the technical aspects because I don't have a, a technical background, but there's some software that where you can, once a candidate applies to a role, basically like a chat bot can reach out to the candidate and have a whole conversation about what the candidate is interested in, what their salary requirements are, what their location preferences are. And then it makes it seem like the candidate is talking to a person, but it's all automated. And then that information gets entered into the database and can be used by recruiters to basically save them time since we wouldn't have to do that ourselves. Um, and then there's another piece of software right now where the software is actually reading the resumes and it's reading the resume and then collecting that data and then referring back to the basic and preferred qualifications and seeing if it's a match or not a match. And if it's not a match, then the software automatically rejects the resume so that the recruiter is only looking at like, quote unquote, qualified resumes. Oh. So, 
yeah, it's there, there's pros and cons to it, um, but that stuff it, it's inevitable. Um, I mean, it's it's coming. I I can I can see how taking that approach can make it so a company doesn't spend as much money on recruiting. So I can see how it's an investment. But again, but I think I think that it's not it's probably not like a perfect approach because yeah, what if what if you filter out a candidate? Uh, but in reality, they were actually good for the job and whatnot. And but uh, but but yeah, so so I see now. Oh, but that that would, that would be pretty that would be pretty bad. Like yeah, so there's new there's new chatbot thing. So we're gonna spin down recurring. Like no, I, I I think that you need you need the you need people aware of the details, man. Like whoa. I so I agree, and that's why I think that recruiters who are dedicated to the craft of recruiting will survive this because I think we'll hit a point where let's just say that recruiting gets automated. I think that especially for highly qualified candidates, they're going to want a human point of contact to assist them in the transition process. Um, I read an article once saying that switching jobs is like, a, one of the top 10 most stressful part of a person's life behind oh. having kids, death of parents, buying a home, switching oh. a job is up there. And I do think candidates at a certain point of time will not want to deal with a machine and will want somebody to talk to that they trust to kind of hold their hand through a very stressful thing for lack of a better term. Oh, but yeah, but it does, it does matter. It, it does matter. I, I remember, I remember when I, you know, when I got the, my, my recruiter and all that at Amazon. So it is, it, it, because there's a lot of things as in, I'm going to just go into this new context. So should I be preparing this and this and this or what or whatnot? So, so, so that's right. Yeah, but, yeah, man. Yeah, but uh, really, really, really great docs, really good trust on that front. But, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been really cool speaking directly with a recruiter, knowing the nitty gritty of how things go on the on the other side of the of the industry that's involved in my in my field. But huh? Any um something something which uh, some, uh well uh, unless unless you have any other closing thoughts, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask you. Uh, something that I like to ask every guest I have is, what's what's their motto? I'm trying not to make a joke. In all seriousness, you can make a joke. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say get that money, but I'm just kidding. Get that um, money. Get that money. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so there's something that I learned from the first company I ever worked at after college, um, called Aim Consulting. Um, I don't work there anymore, but I learned a lot there. And their whole motto was building long-term relationships. It's their version of Amazon's customer obsession. It got drilled into us every single day. Like we build long-term relationships, long-term relationships, et cetera. And I remember at the time I was younger, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit dismissive due to my naivety. But the older that I get, the more I realize that they're actually, they were right and they are right to this day. Um, Long-term thinking and having the ability to build long-term relationships with other people is so critical to success in all facets of your life. Um, so there's one thing that I could share that's like my motto is 
you know, I'm not perfect at it, but I really do try to build long-term relationships with my candidates and everyone else in my life because you never know how other people can help you one, five, 10 years, 20 years down the line. And if you have a group of allies, for lack of a better term, or people that are you're friendly with, not only does it help you, but it makes life just so much more enjoyable. Oh, yeah. No, and, and it, it does matter. It does matter quite a lot. It does matter, man. <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. This has been fun, dude. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Can you do this again? And any any time, uh, let's let's uh, let's record another episode if if we want to cover you know not not necessarily recurring we can just cover any other subject. There's a yeah, lot of yeah, there's a lot agreed. of awesome things going on in the world. Agreed, agreed. I'm well, trying to make it down there to your neck of the woods sometime soon, man. That was fun when you had Lucky and I over. Yeah, nice. We had a blast. Nice. Any 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 time you you invite at any time like you can't believe me. You can. Thank you, Mercy. Uh, you have a good rest of the night. Have a good weekend, my friend. I'll talk to you next time. See you soon. All right. Take care.